Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking about the things that you should be doing in soybeans. And specifically, we're going to say three things that you should be doing in soybeans. What are your three big keys to having a successful soybean crop this year? We'd love to hear from you. Our phone lines will be open all throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. All right, let's talk about uh, soybeans and some things that, that you should be doing for today's show. So I I was just thinking about what are what are three big keys to me? And you said, all right, Darren, you're going to raise a field of soybeans on my farm. What, what should I be doing here uh, to make those soybeans successful? I would say, all right, number one. We want to soil test and fertilize accordingly. And I think right here, we're already separating ourselves from at least half of the operations out there. I'm amazed as I travel, especially in this country, but but in other places as well, our guys are saying, well, soybeans are a rotational crop for me. There's plenty of fertility left for my wheat or for my corn, and they'll scavenge for that. Soybeans have such a small root system. They just aren't a good scavenger crop, number one. And number two, if you do some soil testing, you'll learn quickly. We're not really leaving very much behind some of these other crops, especially with the yields we've been pulling. So fertilizer is going to be a real big key. And when we think about that on our farm, I can I can tell you from experience what a big difference it's made on our soybean crop. We talk all the time about potassium, and I don't want to get carried away on the potassium talk today, but wow, as we've taken our soybean yields from the 40s to the 70s and beyond, Potassium has been a real big key for us, and it's not necessarily putting more beans on each plant, but we're definitely making bigger soybeans. And when we've moved our average seed size from around 3,000 seeds per pound to more like 2,300 seeds per pound, uh, that's a huge, huge change. And that's been a big chunk of that yield increase is getting great big soybean seeds. But we need phosphorus too and, and other nutrients. And certainly as you're getting into the really high yields, you may even need some nitrogen. So a lot of things to talk about there in terms of fertilizer. And we'll get into some of the specific things on some different micronutrients that you may be not thinking about. Even sulfur, we're, we're seeing some positive gains, putting some sulfur on for soybeans too. So fertilizer will be a big part. We talk about weed control quite often, but it's so easy to forget how important that is. Brian and I were putting together different programs for our workshops this winter. And when you look at a total cost of 30 to $40 an acre for herbicide, which is great. If you've got a big problem, you say, wow, 30 or 40, I'll sign up for that every day of the week. But you can do a lot with 30 or 40 bucks. Even if we're 50% off and it ends up costing you 50 bucks an acre for for weed control. You think about the yield that you're protecting there. If we're at let's just use $9 soybeans for an average price, you got 5 or 6 bushels of beans at worst that it's going to cost you to control weeds. Just leave an untreated check in your field one time. And you'll see that it costs a lot more than five or six bushels. So the return on investment of weed control is fantastic. And then the question is, do I get 95% control, 98% control, or close to 100% control? And the numbers that I'm throwing out for dollars per acre on our farm, we're able to achieve 100% control. That's what I would be shooting for. 
when we look at the traits that are on the market today, when you've got things like the Enlist E3 system, the Extend system, really soon we're, we're going to have the Extend Flex system. Uh, I was just talking with some soybean seed production guys about the demand for Extend Flex uh, amongst their seed growers. They said just fantastic growers are like, when can I get it? I want to have that right now. And it's something that should be labeled really soon here, we're thinking hopefully even by spring, where for the 2021 season, there'll be an almost unlimited supply of Extend Flex soybeans. But when you look at the Enlist and the Extend system, we've got some great weed control options there. Use them if you need them. Get your weeds under control. That's a big, big factor towards soybean yield. And then the last piece for me, and I'm just thinking for our farm. Now, maybe where you're at, you say there's some other things here that are going to be really important, like insects, for example, would be unquestionably important. But for us, I would say the disease control is one of the things that we've really seen some gains on too, where even if we don't have a huge disease year, just the plant health benefits from some of the fungicides that are on the market today have been really, really good. And that's something I'd say, I really don't want to go without that. You know, the insects, you may have them, you may not. But improving plant health out in the field and protecting from diseases that may come by is something that I know for sure I'm going to need to do every year. So whether it's a dry year or a wet year, I know that's going to be an issue. So those are my three things. Fertilize correctly for the field. Weed control, Just I, I would say opt for the 100% weed control option. Just do a great, great job on that. And then the last one is disease control, which also overlaps with plant health since you're going to be using the same products there. What are your three things that you think hey, we absolutely have to do these three things in soybeans in our area or specifically on our own farm. Uh, I'd love to hear what yours are. Phone lines, again, are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. One other little side note, and I think Brandon and I talked about it just a little bit last week. We're, we're doing some work with uh, Randy Dowdy and David Hula and their Next Level program and the farmers that are in that program. And I uh, just spent some time down in Arizona running planters, working on uh, adjusting those planters specifically to get the most out of them. And it, it got me really fired up about this growing season. And everybody wants to talk about, well, here's what I'm going to do for corn. I love that those guys focus on every crop that they're raising. And I think that's probably one of the bigger takeaways for farmers that were in attendance. It's, wow, it's not just about let's do a great job planting corn. It's let's do a great job singulating seed and, and getting placement just perfect for every crop that we raise and it's fun for me to get to work with really high quality growers like that that have such attention to detail so today we're going to focus that detail on soybeans and we'd love to hear from you again 844-44-AG-PHD we'll be right back Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? 
If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like waterhemp and palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, being able to reduce our fertilizer side. So it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Vellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Happy to be inside. It's a little cooler outside. I mean, it's really nice for February. It's 40 degrees. You can't complain about that, I guess. But coming from uh, some warmer weather down south, yeah, that was a little bit of an adjustment coming back home. But you know what? Spring is getting closer. We're getting rid of most of the snow here in the upper Midwest. And Really fired up about that because can start to see some ground out there again and anxious to get some seed put in. But as we're planting soybeans, there are some things that we absolutely have to do to get high yields. We're talking about that today on our show. If you'd like to talk about the most important things for your farm and what you really like to do to have a successful soybean crop, we'd love to hear from you. Phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, let's head out to Indiana here. We've got Ashley Stickler with us right now with AgroLiquid. Ashley, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. I started off the show today by saying if, if I had three things that were must-dos for me on my farm, my number one for getting high-yielding soybeans is fertilizer. Are you seeing more farmers start to uh, really focus on this soybean crop? Yeah, great for everyone in my opinion um just realizing that soybeans are not just that that redheaded stepchild crop um is is a great deal they're pretty important to your rotation and just realizing that they're important for your farm operation you know there are a lot of different nutrients that crops need and i think one of them that a lot of farmers just rule out on soybeans is nitrogen but what are some of the other ones that that you would say would be really key ones to look at i i've found sulfur starting to be more popular with some of the farmers i'm dealing with are there some that are kind of surprising you going into this year yes i will fully agree with you sulfur is is pretty important to soybeans and people are starting to pay attention to a sulfur nutrient on their soybean crops um, another couple nutrients that I find super important are potassium, of course, and calcium. Even in high calcium soils, we see a response with calcium, whether that's in furrow or as a foliar. And we've started using calcium as a nutritional supplement on the seed as well. 
Of course, always be careful with the source that you're using, but calcium shows a good response as well as manganese. It's just a good powerhouse in the crop, um, excuse me, in the plant. And so manganese has shown us really good results as well. All right. So we got a lot of lot of listeners today that are going to, I know the questions are going to come about, wait a minute, calcium? I've got a lot of parts per million on my soil test. Why are we struggling getting calcium into some of these crops? So calcium can get tied up in your soil, especially if you have high phosphorus soils, um, as well as high um, magnesium in your soil. So Calcium is one of those things that interact with a lot of different nutrients in your soil. So all of those things have to be in ratio in your soil. So if you have high levels here and there, um, calcium is one of those, those things that we can show a result by adding more to that crop. So that's why we like to look at a soil test and make sure that everything is where it's supposed to be. And we can add a little here, add a little there, and give you a better response. Okay, you mentioned a few other nutrients, and I want to follow back up on them as well. You mentioned potassium, and I know on our show, we talk about that one a lot because it's made such a difference on our farm, but we just farm here in one state. So talk to me about across the country, what are you seeing with potassium levels? What are you looking for for soybeans? And then how are you going about addressing that? Um, Soybeans are kind of a luxury user of potassium. So I like to add potassium in your program in a couple different spots. So if I have growers that are set up to put in furrow uh, or two by two on their soybeans through their planter, that I will add potassium there. And I also like to see potassium as a foliar application. So you see potassium levels all over the board um, across the country. In, in my geography, you know, it's anywhere from, you know, 1% base saturation of potassium to 5% base saturation, and that's all, you know, on how people have um, added potash to their soil or what they've been doing and whether it's running ground or own ground, it's all over the board. And, and I'm sure you all see that uh, where you are as well. Um, but, you know, adding that potash application every year is, is great, and we love to see those levels somewhere between 3 to 5% base saturation. Um, but we can also add that in and feed that crop for that specific growing season. So if we can add a little bit at planting and then come back with a foliar application, I think that that's the ideal situation because you're making sure that that is getting to the plant for that specific growing season. I think what's fun too, I I talk to growers all the time and they're like, I'm pretty skeptical about putting too much fertilizer out on the beans. I really don't think I need to do that or I haven't done it in the past. And I just encourage guys, you know what, if you're gonna rotate to corn next year or wheat, that next crop is going to use up any extra that we put out there. So let's not worry so much about that. I don't think we're taking much of a chance, but I just had a chance to talk to a farmer that kind of was in this situation last year. And he said, I had some extra P and K once we got all the acres done, there's a little bit left. And I just went ahead and put some more on a field that I was going to have soybeans on. And wow, I got a lot more yield. Do you see that a lot where guys are like, well, kind of hesitant to try some of these things on beans? Oh, yeah, for sure. And to be fair, I, you know, my my dad, my grandpa, they're the same way. They're hesitant hesitant to try different things, but that's the way we learn as well. So, you know, give it a shot. Yeah, you know, that might sound crazy or someone else has done it and they had good luck. Give it a shot. Take a small amount of acres on your farm, 10 acres, 5 acres, something like that, and just try something new. 
it, the worst case scenario is, hey, it didn't work. Okay, cool. So now we know that didn't work well. Let's adjust it for next year and try something else. That's the best way to learn is just by trying things on your operation. It could work a million times for someone else, but if it didn't work into your operation, then that's not the right play for you. So that's how I always play, position things for all of my growers is it has to work into their specific operation because if it's not easy for them or it doesn't work well for them, then that's not the right thing. You know, you mentioned some of the big nutrients here to begin with, and I do think for, for all growers that are listening, getting that soil tested, trying to determine what is going to be a yield-limiting factor for you is important. But on some of these farms, Ashley, we, we've done a pretty good job on N, P, and K, and then other things start to come into play. You mentioned manganese, and that's one I know for a fact on our farm. We've struggled with manganese. We've hit everything else. And that's the weak link. So talk to me about manganese. How do I get that into soybeans? And when is the best time to get that out there? So manganese is a pretty cool nutrient, and it gives you a pretty big window to for application. So you can put it in at planting, or you can put it as a foliar. So uh, unlike boron, manganese gives you that big window for foliar applications. Uh, we, we recommend somewhere between... V4 and R3, so it gives you a big window for foliar applications, but you can also apply it at planting. Um, it, it just kind of is a powerhouse nutrient with, within the plant. It kind of serves a bunch of different functions, and it, it's kind of neat. And it's one of those things that is, needs to be in the correct ratio with iron. So you need to have a higher iron level than you do manganese. Ideally, you should have twice as much iron as you do manganese in your soil. Um, and if you do not, if you have higher manganese than iron, you will see iron chlorosis. So sorry, a little sidetrack there. Um, That's okay. That That's good. That's a good that, tip. That also goes back to make sure you get a complete soil test because if you do not, you will not get those micros on your soil test. So that kind of gives us a picture. That's good info for wheat as well. Um, but yeah, it gives you that big window for application. Um, a good a good usage rate is somewhere between a pint and a quart. And most of the time, you will have a low manganese level. Um, there are random pockets across the country that will have really high manganese levels for whatever reason. But most people have low manganese levels. All right. One other nutrient uh, that we we get a lot of questions about is molybdenum, and we're going to have to talk about that another time because I, I know there's so many nutrients here that we can get into or getting some feedback from growers about other things. How about zinc? Is that a big one? You bet. Absolutely. All these nutrients are required by the plant. They're essential nutrients. Real happy to be talking with Ashley Stickler today with AgriLiquid. Ashley, you shared some great tips. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you so much. It was great to be on. You bet. All right. Well, as you can see, somebody else out there is as fired up about fertility for soybeans as me. That's great. Uh, let's talk about some of the other factors that you need to be doing for successful soybean crops right after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Bean growers continue to see yield loss from white mold across the Midwest this season. To maximize next year's crop, a white mold prevention strategy that includes Contans WG Soil Fungicide is a must for your farming operation. Applying Contans this fall to reduce the sclerotia in the soil is the most effective way to stop white mold at its source. Start a Contans white mold control strategy this fall or pay for it later in lost yield. 
When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough to control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. You know a healthy crop is required for your best results. Simply put, balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid Fertilizers have the research, technology, and products to deliver those results. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you with your fertility decisions. AgroLiquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit agroliquid.com to find a dealer near you. White mold and sudden death syndrome are two of the most important fungal diseases in soybean production today. But did you know 40 to 50 million acres in the north central region are affected annually? When every season has different disease challenges, the question becomes how can you ensure the best start for your soybeans no matter what? The answer is Heads Up Seed Treatment. Trusted by growers across the Midwest, Heads Up offers a new mode of action to prime your beans to help fight fungal disease. For more information, visit HeadsUpST.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you want to call in. We're talking about three things that you feel must be done in your soybean fields if you want to have high yields. Now, I mentioned my three to start the show. We hit the first one already. We talked about fertilizer a little bit and some of the keys there. But I also mentioned disease control, and that might be a surprise to you, but we've seen some really nice gains on our farm with plant health benefits, with some of the fungicide products out there, and also we do face some tough diseases uh, in our part of the world, which you'd say, man, you guys normally don't get so much rain when you farm in the West, but yeah, we still get some disease challenges. So we got our friend Mark Storr on with us right now with BASF to talk about that a little bit. Mark, thanks for joining us. Hey. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Good, good. I, I wanted to have you on today because we're talking about soybeans and getting higher yields. And I know this is a focus for you too, especially with some of the new <clears throat> things that you've got coming. Can you talk to us a little bit? I want to hear about some of your new products in just a minute, but can you talk to us first about just plant health benefits in general? Because I think this is one of those things that happens every year, whether we're dry or whether we're wet. 
Well, obviously, uh, there's a host of things in the environment that, uh, you know, in biological system that a plant has to deal with, and soybeans are no different. You start in the soil with soil-borne organisms that, you know, seed treatments obviously come into play and offer a lot of plant health benefits in that regard. And then you think of foliar diseases, and probably, if I had to say, uh, well, we have a common disease here throughout the Midwest called Septoria brown spot, which is just about every uh, soybean acre. It's a soil-borne fungus that is a yield nibbler, uh, but it is a, uh, a disease that's out there every year on just about every soybean acre, and uh, we see fungicides have the ability to uh, help protect uh, yield from that disease. Probably the most devastating uh disease that we can encounter in soybeans is frogeye leaf spot, which is also, uh, I guess, growing in stature, uh, seemingly uh, larger areas impacted in Iowa here where I live in central Iowa. Uh, the last couple years we've had uh, severe outbreaks of that. And then white mold uh, is obviously one that we always have to contend with, uh, particularly in the northern half of Iowa, and, you know, as you move into your part of the world in southern Minnesota and so forth. But again, there are fungicides available that offer those, uh, you know, prevention or control of those diseases, which can really pay big dividends. All right, you got some new exciting ones. Uh, I know we've got a lot of listeners who have been asking questions about that. Can you talk about what's going on with uh, with your new products? Well, our new product that's really slated, I think, more for soybeans is Revitec. We have a ton of Praxor followers and people that have been using Praxor for several years, and it's still an awesome product and is going to fit a fit a lot of acres, I think, here uh, throughout the Midwest. And it's a you know proven track record and uh, you know excellent performance. The new uh, material, the Revitec, we've actually added in a different active ingredient, completely different formulation. It's a little higher use rate than Praxor. It's an eight-ounce per acre use rate. Uh, but we're seeing excellent activity. We've added a triazole to that in addition to the uh, strobilin and the, and the SDHI. So you're looking at another mode of action there, which can help on certain diseases. And the, the thing that makes the uh, product different, I think, is the length of residual that you're going to see excelling over uh, most of the other products in the marketplace. But we've always maintained, you know, when you mentioned plant health, <clears throat> it's kind of a complicated system, I guess, within the physiological uh, properties of, of plant growth and how they're affected. But these fungicides do have growth-regulating type properties uh, within our uh, corn and soybeans, and they're responsible for reducing stress. We can see this uh, in dry conditions, for example. Uh, it's pretty easy to prove. We have a cooler canopy temperature when we use some of these specific fungicides. So it's not just the fungicide aspects of it and the disease control. We do offer some of the additional uh, benefits that allow plants to grow more productively. We're basically increasing photosynthesis is is what it uh, boils down to. So it's also a part of the yield component. Well, certainly it is. We uh, we talked with our friend Randy Doughty about the difference that, that that product made on his world record 190 bushel soybeans. So I, I don't know that that took him from 40 to 190, but uh, he sure felt like it took uh, 160 or 170 bushel beans up there, and uh, and that's pretty exciting. So, yeah, we're talking about Revitec just a little bit. It's something you definitely want to ask your, your local supplier about and see if you can try some of that out on your soybeans this year. 
Been talking with Mark Storr with BSF. Mark, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the info today. Hey, I appreciate the discussion. We'll talk to you later. You bet. Uh, let's head uh, up to uh, another caller here from South Dakota. We've got Luke with us. Luke, how are you doing today? Good, Darren. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. I understand you got a potash question. Well, I'm a strip tiller. I have been for years. So I love strip tilling corn stalks in front of my beans, uh, putting down map and potash. But uh, I went to an agronomy meeting this winter and then uh, subsequently read a couple of articles that said that the chloride in the concentrated band from potash could be actually hurting my bean yields. And I should maybe consider uh, potassium sulfate instead. And I know it's a lot more expensive, but I wondered what your thoughts are on that. You know, that's a great question. We we do get that one quite often where, where growers will say, you know, I'm nervous because I found out that potassium is not just potassium. Uh, my potash is potassium chloride. And it's, it's uh, first of all, the short answer is no, I don't believe you're hurting yourself. What rates are you running with potash? Are you doing something crazy like my brother would, or are you running kind of a normal rate? <laughs> Uh, I'd call it normal. I have variable rate, so uh, uh, across different soil types, uh, anywhere from 75 pounds of potash up to around 150 or 70. Okay. Yep, yep. No, I wouldn't anticipate any issue. Um we, we haven't seen that on our farm. The, the chloride is actually needed in, in smaller quantities than what we're putting out there. We don't need that much, but, but we definitely need some. And there's some areas where we're seeing a real nice yield boost by getting the chloride into the equation. I was talking with Dave Hula about the same question. Do you see a big difference going potassium sulfate versus potassium chloride? I know he said on his farm he really hasn't seen any difference at all, hasn't seen that it was worth the extra money. Uh, I hear the same things that you do, that there's growers out there that believe they're getting better yields, but we just haven't seen it. We've been really comfortable with, with using potash in our area. And, yeah, at 75 to 150 pounds of product, it just isn't that much chloride. I, I'm not super worried about that. What percentage of chloride is in potash? I think you it's I think it's forty five percent if I remember right. It's pretty high. Okay. Well, then, rather than uh, changing the entire farm over, I just need to get a couple of tons of potassium sulfate, run it through the strip till machine, and, and do my own tests and see what I find. That's a fantastic way to do it. I love seeing trials like that just to to know for sure. But you're right; it's just been hard to get it out here. The trucking is has not been good and uh, the price point has just been high so yeah i I agree you do that on a small amount of acres it's not going to break you it's uh not a really expensive test to do but definitely one that'd be worthwhile yeah i'd love to see that that'd be great i appreciate it thank you you bet thanks a lot luke you know with soybeans one of the big things is getting that fertility piece right i love what luke's doing with the strip till when we switched and started doing some strip till a number of years back boy it's been uh, probably 15 years ago that we really got going with strip till. That was a huge boost to our soybeans. We found banding that fertility in close proximity to where our soybeans are going to be, not all in furrow or anything, but when you've got an eight inch wide strip and you're mixing that fertility in there, it's really, really helped our soybean yields. And we switched from 15 inch rows. A lot of, a lot of growers will say, well, narrow rows are a big thing for soybeans. And I agree with you. I think there is some more yield potential in a 15 versus a 30. But what we found is when we switched to 30s, trying to get away from some of the white mold challenges that we've seen in our area and, and give our plants a little bit more space, 
we we felt like we were going backwards a little bit on yield until we started doing strip till and then we thought we gained it all back and probably some more so i love that placement and we just haven't seen an issue putting potash out there i know it's potassium chloride and people get nervous about chlorine but chlorine and chloride are a little different the chloride is not a problem until it attaches with something else that could be a salt so yeah no problem there we we would do that a hundred times over on our our soybean fields stay tuned we're talking about better yielding soybeans on today's program your land is a legacy a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations at Corteva agriscience we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. We know balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid has the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop plus the expertise to give you a recommendation based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. AgriLiquid has the phosphorus, potassium, and micronutrient products necessary to deliver the best results from a solid fertility program. Visit agriliquid.com to find a dealer near you. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi. I'm Scott Harms, an agrist specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at grainphd.com. The Grain Temp Guard from FarmShop MFG has helped farmers keep their bushels safe from spoilage and shrinkage loss in bins all across the country. And this low-cost solution just became even more affordable. FarmShop MFG is offering a $100 factory rebate on all Grain Temp Guard bin monitoring systems. This offer is available for a limited time only, so take advantage of this program now to upgrade your bins and protect your crop investments. For more information, visit FarmShopMFG.com. Now that harvest is in the books, it's time to start thinking about your plan for the next crop. Using a pre-emerge herbicide in your soybeans is the best agronomic choice you can make to ensure control of tough weeds and grasses before they wreck the rest of your season. Authority brand herbicides from FMC keep your soybean fields clean from the start. Research trials have shown that applying a pre-emerge herbicide at planting can preserve up to 20 bushels or more of yield potential. With multiple options to fit your soil types, tillage practices, and weed management needs, Authority brand herbicides deliver the pre-emerge power to fight glyphosate-resistant weeds before they take root. How do they do it? Two modes of action keep resistance in check. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. It's not too late. Visit your FMC retailer or fmcagus.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions, restrictions, and precautions for use. Well, 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about three things that you should be doing in your soybean fields. Getting some feedback today. If you would like to uh, send me a message, Darren Hefty on Twitter is the place to, to do that. Or you can just give us a call at 844 844- 44 Ag PhD. Okay, I got a number of topics here that people want us to discuss today. Uh, so we talked about fertilizer a little bit, talked about disease control and plant health. Um, my other, th- my third key was weed control. And we'll get to that in just a minute. I want to get to some of the questions that came in. Uh, one was on planting population. Hearing that some growers are going with lower pops. What do you think about lower populations? Is Are we planting too much? Is that hurting us? Uh, and then at the same token, uh, or, or at the same time, I got another one that's, that was, hey, I think guys are planting too low a population. We're seeing some response getting up in the 170 to 180,000 population on our farm. So I wanted to talk about that. It, it's probably going to vary depending on variety, what the exact ideal population is. And certainly it's going to vary based on soil fertility and what kind of weather you get for that year. So there are a lot of factors here that are going to play into this. But with planting population, soybeans will self-thin to some degree. So if we overdo it on soybeans, a lot of times it's not the end of the world. We just kind of wasted some money. At least that's what we've seen on our farm. However, on the low side, is there more yield out there? We're seeing some growers that are having really good luck, even with 80,000 final stands sometimes with some varieties. And here's what's going on. If we've got a bushy bean that we can really fill that row in early and take advantage of all that sunlight, we can still get pretty good yields, uh, maybe even excellent yields at lower plant populations. But if you pick the wrong bean and one that doesn't have great branching and more of a thin line type bean, I don't think you can do that at all. I just have not seen that. Now, row spacing could play into this too. And that's that's another one of the questions that we've been getting a lot of is, all right, what about row spacing? What about narrow rows? I used to get more yield when I drilled, all these things. All right. I, I think the key is sunlight and how do we catch all that sunlight as quickly as possible? So if you've got a short growing season, sure. Higher planting populations and narrower rows really pay. I uh, don't think they pay as much if you had a longer season, but I'm not growing crops in those areas. So if you disagree with that, you can certainly let me know. But with plant population, we really like to see on our farm around 120 to 130,000 And then you know you're going to lose a few plants out there to one thing or another. At least that way, we've got some room to go. If anything goes wrong out in the field and we end up with a 100,000 final stand, we're still going to be okay. That's where I like to start. If you're starting at 70 or 80,000 to begin with, it's risky. And I know there's some guys that are doing this, but they're really fussy. And they're doing a great job with plant spacing. They're picking the right varieties that are going to bush out. And they're unbelievably good at weed, insect, and disease control. If you can handle all those things, you may be able to get by. But before you switch the whole farm over or anything like that, start on a small scale and know the varieties that you're planting. My thought is more of a moderate population, that 120, 130,000 is going to cover most varieties out there. But again, if you get something super bushy, you really know what you're doing and you're planting into some stress-free ground. If there is any of that out there, 
you may be okay with a little bit lower. Uh, okay, speak about that plant type, bushy plants versus thin plants. This is kind of like the flex ear versus determinate ear corn discussion. Which one do you like? I don't really care. I like the one that yields. That's that's the big thing for me. Like on our farm, we've got a we plant around a mid group one to a mid group two maturity range. And do we see a huge difference between those? You know, the mid group twos probably have a little bit more yield, but if you're late in the season, you can certainly go to mid group one and still get good mature or good yield in our area. So I'm seeing more areas of the country that are compromising on maturity and not going with the full season stuff and having some pretty good luck. So I think if you manage it well, you can do really well with those early maturity beans as well. Uh, but when it comes to a, a bushy bean versus a thin bean, you know, I like standability if I can get it. I, I don't think you always have to be the best standing, but I think it does give you a, the best chance of consistently doing well. If we can keep the bean standing up, we can cover it better with fungicides. We can protect it better from diseases. We get more air movement underneath the canopy. There's just a lot of positive things there. So to me, I don't really care if I've got a bushy bean or a thin bean. I just want to know what I have so I can adjust accordingly with my planting. And then I just want to manage accordingly too. I, I like things that stand if at all possible. That'd be a big uh, variety selection thing for me. Uh, and then the other one that came in that was really kind of a popular thing was tillage. And it was interesting too that Luke from South Dakota had called in about strip till and said he's been strip tilling for a while, really likes that. I like strip till too. I think it's been really good. I don't like to do major tillage on the farm. Brian's going to disagree with me about that a little bit. He likes to do some deep tillage every so often, not every year, but every so often just to kind of freshen things up, deal with any residue issues or, or anything else that's going on out there. I like doing as little tillage as I have to, and strip till has been a nice complement to our operation where I could put fertility in close proximity to where those soybean roots are going to be. We see better uptake. Our plant tissue tests have been better. We're getting more nutrients into the crop timely. I like that. I think it's been a real help to our yield. But if you're in a conventional till system, you could still band fertility close to the row. You could do a two by two system or like Randy Dowdy's doing with a two by two on each side of the row. Um, you could still run a strip till rig through or a coulter cart through and spread fertility throughout the root zone. There's a lot of different options that you've got there. So the tillage piece, I think the real key with it is you just want to have a good seed bed, just like you do with corn. If you think I want to be just as fussy as I am with corn about an even seeding depth and singulating seed and all those things, we've really seen that pay. That's been a big deal. So give it a try on your farm. See what you see. Go out and look at your fields this year. Look at your plants that are spaced correctly. See how they're doing compared to the ones that are not. It's the same thing that we do in corn. We just walk fields. We look at, okay, here's where the planter did great. Here's where the planter did not do well. Let's do a yield estimation in both those areas and take a look and see how much it's costing us. You've got all the data on your own farm. I think the the tillage thing, you can be successful in conventional till. You can be successful in no-till. You can be successful in strip till. You just have to manage it accordingly. All right, last thing uh, that, that came in just for feedback, and then I want to talk just a little about weed control and uh, take a few other questions here before the end of the show. The other one was planting early. 
What do you think about early planting? A lot of people are talking about that. Do you like soybeans planted first? Do you like corn planted first on your farm? Historically, we've been a plant the corn, then plant the beans farm. Why, do, why have we done it that way? Well, we're also the guys that like to be out there early. So we like to be out there before the crop insurance date for soybeans. So our crop insurance date is April 10th for corn, I think April 25th or something on soybeans. So we got a couple week window there that if field conditions are right, we're going to be planting corn for a couple weeks before we plant the soybeans. Now, that said, I've talked to a lot of farmers around the country that say, you know, soybeans have been awfully forgiving to me planting early. Obviously, you can't uh, freeze for a week or something like that, then everything's dead. But but if we just get, you know, some cold temperatures, soybeans seem to handle that a little bit better. I would agree. For our farm, if we were going to start planting April 25th, yeah, I'd like to see us put some soybeans in first, as long as we could get that corn in timely. You know, there comes a point in our area in the north where corn yields really start tailing off if you don't have that corn in by, say, May 5th. If I had a date on the calendar and I said, I really want to make sure everything's done, I'd say I want to make sure it's done by May 5th most years. Earlier if I could, but that would be the end of my ideal window. And if we were stuck in that situation where, hey, we're getting close to that window and I don't have anything in the ground, yeah, I'd get my corn in. But if I can get planted timely here, I would love to put some soybeans in the last week of April in South Dakota where I'm at. And where we've done that versus planting the same field a couple of weeks later, it's been a noticeable difference, 5 to 10 bushel difference in yield. So if you can plant early with soybeans, I would suggest trying a field and just see how it works for you on your farm. All right, we're going to talk more about soybeans right after this. Stay tuned. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Hey Adam, new drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds. Look out for that tree! In the power lines! Oh, it's in for the house. There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions. The laser. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, 
Three no-excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Increase your productivity with Hypro's Dual React Control System. The dual nozzle body design allows you to drive at the speed you want while maintaining the rate and droplet size you need. Hypro, helping you spray better. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic herbicides from Atticus LLC. Tough broadleaf weeds are a hassle, but they're no match for Cavallo from Atticus. Cavallo delivers fast, contact, and residual control so your corn, soybean, and sorghum crops can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And we've been talking about the three things you should be doing in your soybeans to getting higher yields. Obviously, there's a lot of things you could add to that list. My big list was fertilize well, disease control, and plant health. And then the third one was weed control that we haven't talked about yet. So let me get into that real quick, and then we're going to dive into the Ag PhD mailbag. So when it comes to weed control, here's a couple things. First of all, your soybean variety selection is really important and not because of anything other than what trade are you planting? If I had a big time problem with weeds out in a field, like for example, say I was prevent plant last year and it got a little hairy out in my fields or say I'm along a river and there was some flooding, or maybe we just, you know what, didn't get the job done last year and we had some weeds that escaped on us. I would no doubt about it plant either Enlist E3 soybeans or plant Extend soybeans. They are, Those two traits offer me the most options for my weed control. That's what I would do on my farm. That's what I am doing on my farm. I've got 100 acres of river bottom ground that went under twice last year. Uh, unfortunately, the second time was in September when I was about ready to harvest. So I know all about flooding, and I know that there's a bunch of stuff that washed across my fields. I know I'm going to have some surprise weeds out there. I'm going with one of those premium traits so I can control weeds more easily. Now, let's just say that I was going to go conventional, and I said, I'm raising conventional beans. I've got a premium in my area, or I just don't like traits, or I don't want to pay for traits, whatever. All right, but I'm going to pay no doubt about it. I'm going to pay a lot because post-emerge weed control, especially when I don't know exactly what's going to pop up out there, it's going to be expensive and it's going to be difficult too. So here's what I would do. I, I would pick a premium trait, but even if you don't, no matter what trait you pick, use our three pre strategy, get at least three different modes of action out there that are effective on the weeds that you're expecting to see in your field. So if you say, well, pigweed is by far the worst weed in my field, I'm using one of the yellows, I'm using one of the PPOs like authority or valor, and I'm also using metribuzin and I'm using all of them at good, strong rates. So I have three things out there that will each take that weed out. And by doing that, by putting them all together, I protect those modes of action from resistance 
and I just don't take any chances on that weed control. And I'm not taking any options off the table post-emerge either because all of those modes of action that I mentioned are ones that we're going to only use pre and not use post. Then post-emerge, I'm coming back early with whatever weed control option I've got. Maybe it's Enlist, maybe it's Liberty, maybe it's Extend, maybe it's a conventional herbicide. And I'm going to mix in a residual as well like a group 15, maybe something like Warrant or Metolachlor that's going to give me a little bit more residual on some of those small seeded broad leaves and even a little bit on grasses too. So that's going to be my strategy. And then I'm going to do everything I can post-emerge. If I've got Enlist E3, I'm probably spraying the um, Liberty with some 2,4-D. Maybe I'm doing that both times. I, I don't know what your budget is or what your weed pressure is like, but I'm just not taking any chances that weeds hurt my yield. That's going to be a big thing too. All right, uh, let's dive into the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, I've been talking soybeans on today's show, but Landon is from Oklahoma and he wants to know about wheat. Uh, Landon said, hey guys, I'm looking at fungicides with multiple modes of action to spray on my wheat later this spring when it gets to flag leaf. Now, I've heard you talk about Nexacore and that you think it's a good product for wheat. Well, at flag leaf, it's labeled from 7 to 13 ounces an acre at 7. This will cost me less than 10 bucks. At 13, it'll cost around 17. But it seems really expensive. It's not that expensive here. And, uh, I, well, maybe that includes application. I'm not sure. Anyway, said with three modes of action, I'm wondering if I will get protection with the low rate. What would you suggest? Here's the big thing, Landon. And with wheat, a lot of times we're talking about half rates, but we're talking about spraying those early. Once you get to flag leaf, we like a stronger rate. Now, I don't know if you have to go to the full 13 ounce. I'm not sure how big a canopy you've got and how many tillers you're carrying and all that, how many leaves out there need coverage. But what you're looking at with that first application at herbicide timing, you've got really small wheat. So at a half rate, you're actually delivering more active ingredient per square inch of leaf area than you are when you're spraying the full rate at flag leaf. So you've got a lot of material out there to cover. I would definitely use the full rate and I would be shocked if you don't get a good return on your investment still, uh, even at that higher price. So that's what I would do. I would use the next core at the full rate when you get a little bit further in. But you know what? There are a lot of fungicides that came down in price. There are a lot of generic alternatives out there. If you want to mix something up yourself, if you can save a whole bunch of money, it's certainly your decision to make. We do really like Nexacore. We think that's been a premium product in wheat. Thanks, Landon. Really appreciate that question. Okay, got another one. This one comes from Kurt, and he said, I hear that you are doing a meeting about tiling on your farm this week. I'm wondering, will you have information on how to lay out a system, how to design a drainage system? We actually are, Kurt. Uh, we're, we're having a, a meeting, working together with the folks at SoilMax. Uh, this is going to be at the Morton Center. That's right at the Ag PhD Field Day site. And it's tomorrow, which will be February 25th. And it'll be from 9 a.m. to noon. So if you're interested in in attending that, uh, you can, can find more details uh, online, of course, uh, and I guess if you want to show up, you sure can. We're, we're going to have a bunch of people there. And like uh, like your question, Kurt, are you going to talk about design of systems? We're going to take any question you have from equipment to design to just how tile works in the ground to try to help you out to help you do that better. So hope 
you can make it. And if you don't, uh, just send in more specific questions or send in a field and topography map and those kind of things if you're looking for ideas. Thanks. Really appreciate it, Kurt. Another one here comes from, uh, didn't put a name on it. He said, all right, uh, I've got a wet ground and white grub question for you. All right, that sounds fun. He said, so we've got some wet hay ground that's probably been in hay for about 40 years. We broke some open for corn a couple years ago. The first year was a disaster. The corn was short, pale, didn't grow well. When we plowed the ground, we noticed white grubs in the first year, but the second year... We didn't notice the white grubs as bad, and the corn was was pretty good. Now, I did put tile in the rest of the hay ground last year and plan to do some more plowing this spring. I don't want the disaster that I had the first time around. Uh, even though it's been hay forever, it's still very wet, and I thought for a long time that it just killed off my microbes out there. Do you have anything about white grubs? Are they the thing that's really hurting my corn? What do I need to know about them? And will they go away with time and tillage? All right. Uh, thanks for the question, first of all. White grubs are a big, big problem, and true white grubs have a long life cycle. So they come up, feed on roots, then they go back down in the soil. I've heard as much as seven-year life cycles. So if you don't kill the white grubs, if you've got a crop out there they like to eat, they're coming up, they're going to eat more of that crop. So I am really concerned about white grubs. The thing that we've seen on our farm is we do use insecticide on our corn every other season. In soybeans, we don't put any insecticide in the soil other than seed treatment. So we're just doing foliar applications in soybeans. The adult stage of the white grub is is a beetle. Often the June bug is what we would call them in our area. So if we see June bugs flying, we try to do something about that. That triggers a foliar application because we don't have white grub problems. We do see more white grubs where we've got big tree groves along the field, down along the rivers, for example, and in our area, big cottonwood trees. That's usually a trigger that, you know, we're probably going to see more June bugs around there and going to have more white grub problems. They can be a big problem, and I've heard that they aren't going to hurt soybeans, but I've been in fields where they've hurt the soybean fields too. So I would be really concerned about that. I would get after the white grubs, and anytime you've got a cover crop, you've got hay, you've got pasture, you've got other areas like that that host white grubs or you're not doing tillage out there, it gets to be more of a problem. So yeah, I'm concerned about it. I would put insecticide down in furrow with my corn, whether you're using something like a force or Aztec or, or other chemistry. I, I don't really care which one it is as much as that you do something. When we do no insecticide in the furrow, it just makes it that much easier for the white grubs. So I would get after them with insecticide as you plant your corn. It sounds like you're doing a lot of the right things. And as far as that microbiology goes, you could definitely put that out there in furrow or in a two by two as well. We're utilizing products like NutriCycle on our corn every year and seeing some nice gains there, but there are other nice products out there too. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. And good luck as you're trying to, to avoid the, the disaster you saw a couple years ago. Had a fun show today because we got to talk about soybeans. And that's great because we need to focus on them just as much as we do with corn and other crops on our farm if we want to be successful. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. And now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio. <laughs>